Me too. No, let's clap five times. We've done it. Haven't done it in so long. One, two, three, four, five. I'm curious what that looks like to you on your side because I'm clapping in time with your claps. Right. Yeah. It always look. It always looks like nonsense, <laughs> but it it works good in audio. So, we'll talk about this in a second. Okay. <laughs> Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We use science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? <laughs> It'll be up to you. And you too. I think if we learned anything from the last month or two, we're not going to do anything constructively. <laughs> Todd, do you know? Do you know why the riot police get up so early in the morning? I don't. It's to beat the crowds. Um, also. <laughs> oh, I wish I had thunderous applause over on my end. I don't have anything. Why? Uh, why did? Why did the teddy bear say no to dessert? Ooh, he was stuffed? He was stuffed, exactly. Oh, look at me. So I, it's going to be a great day. I wanted I wanted uh, to temper the, the yeah. <laughs> more political joke with a softer, fluffier version. With the softer side of Sears. Exactly. Um, so I, I've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, bands playing together on Zoom for... Uh, TV shows and and such. Yeah, I believe that how they're doing that is there's each one is recording individually, and and it's all being mixed in later. Yeah, and that has to be because there's yeah, no well, way. I guess it depends on it's live, but I had a friend whose daughter it was like the end of the year choir recital for their high school or whatever, and it was like. It was this insane. There was like a hundred kids, and then they meshed them all together in this Zoom video, and it was like absolutely beautiful. And so I asked her, "I'm like, did you? Go, I mean, How this can't do be done live." And they're like, "No, we, you know, everyone recorded their own, and then some, some low page teacher's aide had to stitch all that together." But Got I mean, it. you, you and I know that even clapping five times is. <clears throat> Right. impossible to right. line up but yeah the lag is not trivial it, it is measurable and noticeable uh, as video is being processed and then sent over the internet and then received and then all the packets are unpacked and processed and sent to you know and there's a lot of work being done over a long distance yeah and uh and that and that's I, it always time. it always surprises me just to think of the regular telephone yeah. like how you could talk from one side of the country to the other without a lag like and that's been happening for like a hundred <laughs> years or whatever and that has just always broken my mind how i don't understand like if i mean the sound can't go the speed of light it can only go the speed of sound like that it, <laughs> well it it's can just... go the speed of light because what it oh it gets Converted into electricity, and that that electricity goes at you know just below the speed of light. 
Okay. Uh, and then that electricity is, is received. The the time lags come into the processing. And so in old timey phones, there was no processing. It basically that electricity was amplified and sent against a diaphragm to uh, to make sound. And so it's almost in instantaneous. And so the distance, if you uh, let's let's do just a little bit of math. So uh, so speed of light is 186 to 182, 186,282 miles per second. Jeez. And then um, how far, how far is New York from Portland, Oregon? And the like answer is 3,000 miles. Uh, almost 3,000 miles, 2,896 miles. So let's round that up to 3,000 miles. So 3,000 miles. I haven't hung out with you in so long. I've never, I haven't gotten to do real time math in forever. <laughs> and, and so um, per second. So if we take 3,000 divided by 186282, we get roughly 0.02 seconds you know uh, 0.016 seconds so so if there was let's say that uh there's uh some some lag introduced that's 10 times the <laughs> uh the speed of light then that would be 0.1 second lag uh, between the time that I speak and when you hear it in your Jeez. ear. And so it's imperceivable. Uh, but when we add in USB processing and all this stuff, it just adds like two seconds somehow. That's so weird. Yeah. It just breaks your brain to think about too much. <laughs> well, mine, at least. <laughs> Uh, so I've, I've yeah. a couple, a couple things. We didn't do a show last week. Guess what I got? You got a haircut. I got a haircut. <laughs> I could no longer withstand the temptation. I personally, uh, although I kind of want one, I've purposefully continued to just go crazy man wild. Yeah. And so it is, uh, it's getting curly. In oh the my gosh. That's so, I mean, no offense. That's so it's gross. So, I know. It's, now it's I know how you gross. feel when you look at my hand. <laughs> oh, wow. You can see it over the, you oh, can see the terrible. new spot over the oh, video. No. Yeah. I couldn't, I'm, I'm leaving my COVID mustache, my, my, um, trucker mustache or whatever. I'll keep that for a while Sweet. still now that I've grown attached to it. Um, but yeah, I couldn't, I'm, it was so, it was so wonderful getting that haircut. It still had to wear, you know, everybody's wearing masks and you had to, it was like one person at a time and appointments and stuff like that. But it was very much worth it. And now I've realized how difficult it is to track down Brill Cream. Do you remember Brill Cream? A little dabble, do you? No, really? I mean, I mean, I've oh yeah, yeah. It, you're aware. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a hair product from like the 1400s or whatever. But like two years ago, I found some at uh, Fred Meyer and they kind of had redesigned their package to make it look like um, uh, like a hipster 
branded something. So I bought some and it's just, it's basically lotion for your hair, which is weird. But, um, but I finally ran out of the tube I had and I have been to like four different stores now looking for replacement Brill Creep, which they do sell. And they said it, 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 it's at Kroger and Wal and Walgreens and, and Rite Aid, but none of those Trump places boys had it. stocked up on all of it before COVID. <laughs> you were sharing that, um, it was, it's actually one of the best nonpartisan, uh, Trump memes and that's. Like if he's giving a speech where it's windy and his hair is all wacky, that someone is watching it on TV and holding up a hair dryer so it looks like the hair dryer is making his hair flap around, which is just delightful. It is delightful. <laughs> Funny. So yes, I am on my, I am on, and I refuse to buy like a four dollar tube of Brill Cream from Amazon. So, <laughs> of course. So was. now, for now, I will just have to go without that. So. But we were we were talking a little bit. Actually, I had a friend. I'll I won't put this on you. So I had a friend from Chicago, my good friend Jill uh, Veenstra, who was my, one of my best friends growing up. And I went to college with her, and her husband ended up. Uh, I meet uh, was roommates with him in college. He was my best man at my wedding. But um, she texted me and was like, uh, Mike, her husband wants to take their daughter maybe on some sort of little road trip. The daughter just graduated from high school. And she's like, they were thinking about swinging, you know, by Portland, but, you know, what is it like there, you know, and you guys, I mean, to anyone not in the Pacific Northwest are like, you're right next door to Seattle. And we're like, well, right. not really, but um, so I was like, well, you know, I think, you know, regardless of what's going on in Chazistan <laughs> in downtown Seattle, like I'm. It, for the most part, and I haven't been super following the news, but it looks like Portland's demonstrations outside of the, like those first couple days have been all peaceful and all there hasn't been any uh, roustabouts coming in and stuff like that. So I kind of said, you know, I think thing, uh, things are still closed because Portland proper still is not in phase one of reopening. Correct. In fact, was just kind of paused, paused again last Friday. Um, so it's like, I think. Things are still probably just closed, but because of COVID or just boarded up. But I don't I don't right. feel like there's that chaos on the streets. Now, I could be wrong because I mean, you're a little bit a little closer. So what's your yep. what's no, your take I, on that? I totally agree. Uh, and I watch the Portland subreddits pretty closely and and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Twitter followers and and uh, and uh, and the such. And uh, by and large, the mainstream media has stopped covering the protests and the protests are uh growing in size and marching through a lot of neighborhoods and so there was wow. one last night who uh was uh, not in our area but uh, another another uh, neighborhood and and so they're kind of being super uh uh non-violent and just protesting down the streets and uh lots of signs and, and it seems very uh appropriate like uh, they're doing the doing it the right way they're gaining um noticeability within the communities and uh actively letting people's voices be known that you know they're they're standing up for uh for what they're staying up for right well that's good to know uh well the first this first new i didn't actually even include any of the story it's from the new york times that it was pretty long and involved a lot of methodology and stuff like that but the the kind of the takeaway is that um 
federal arrests show that no sign of Antifa uh, were part of any of these huge demonstrations. So I have noticed, and I I feel like that's also kind of taking a backseat now too, because I feel like a lot, as in Portland it's always been, I mean, there's a protest like every 20 minutes, regardless right. of what's happening in the world in Portland. So, I mean, this is demonstrations in Portland just go hand in hand because that's the only activity we can do, apparently. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> but we've seen just firsthand people living in Portland, how often these outside elements come in and start a bunch of trouble. And, of course, people that aren't looking that closely, well, that must be this Antifa group that's not even really a group of any sort. So I do feel like one of the positives is that I don't see a lot of people outside of the White House uh, blaming Antifa for anything because I think people are seeing, oh, well, Antifa is not actually a group and now we've seen all of these outside elements and so i don't know if that's less getting less traction or more traction but it is worth noting that that's kind of become a boogeyman that isn't quite the power agreed <laughs> the power yeah. that uh people always thought but i always i always look at antifa as like the 4chan anonymous of exactly. things how it's like it's a lot of people just on their computers talking about how tough they are but like it's not really a thing in real life i could I, be wrong about that no i think anyway. you're i think you're right um another article that i didn't bother <laughs> pasting because it was just too ridiculous but uh they have introduced a bill to the house uh in the united states that would prevent the the president from uh nuking, nuking hurricanes, hurricanes which we joked about a while ago um and astonishingly came up non-jokingly <laughs> in some press conference, but uh, at least there will be a bill against against that officially. So That's definitely one of those uh, things that you, you see, like laws that are only exist because one <laughs> bad apple. <laughs> yes. Like, we didn't think we had to literally <laughs> say this. It's like every but time apparently there's... apparently we do. Yeah, every time that some town has a thing, like, against... This is a hideous thing to say, but <laughs> those very taboo things like somebody was getting very amorous with a right. a, a dead dog or something like that. And then exactly. everyone realized like, oh, I guess oh. we don't have a law against this and now have to inexplicably do that thing. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm drinking. Look at this. Look at you a double gulp. Guess who got a brand new cup today <laughs> at a freshly restocked 7-Eleven? So the I can take a chain caught up. I I hope my life of crime has been put on hold until they run out again. So um, but there are some other news outside of um, the biggest things. And one of them is that genetically modified mosquitoes are coming to the United States. So for the first time this summer, genetically modified mosquitoes could be released in the U.S. through an experiment uh, through the U.S. Uh, EPA. Uh, in Florida and Texas. So female females of the mosquito species, which transmit any number of diseases, uh, when the lab-bred genetically modified males are released and mate with the wild females, the female offspring die, which I thought 
these genetically modified mosquitoes were only genetically modified to like not carry malaria, not just like <laughs> kill all females. But I guess since the females are obviously the ones that bite, um, that's what they're focusing on. So now there's a lot of geneticists, biologists, policy experts, bioethicists, all of that um, closely monitoring what impact this will have on um, ecosystems and stuff like that. And I'm assuming since, you know, lots and lots of animals do eat mosquitoes, I mean, they're a, a main food source that I, I'm guessing they're hoping that, well, although if all the females die, then that's it for that general because i was like well then you know they still have the males to eat but i guess right yeah <laughs> so but they've also been looking into uh making genetically engineered coral reefs that can withstand rising sea temperatures american chestnut trees that can survive blight uh and mosquitoes that can't carry disease so <clears throat> it's a documentary that you pointed me to 20 years ago about the <laughs> cane toad invasion yes uh, you know just brings back uh my sentiment about uh my reluctance to promote messing with the food chain uh messing with the ecosystem of stuff and and cane toad invasion uh in northeast australia they had a problem with a pest. I don't even remember what the pest was. It was eat, uh, something that was eating their sugar yeah, a, sugar cane a or fly something of some sort. And um, and so they brought in cane toads, which was, were supposed to eat that fly. But it turns out that cane toads had no natural predators in that region, and just became an an infestation of epic proportions. They're they're large. Uh, they're mildly huge. They're mildly poisonous, <laughs> and and they cover the roads, and they people pop them by driving <laughs> over them. It, it's just, and it became this like huge thing, and <clears throat> similarly, uh, or maybe on the other end of the scale, uh, you know, uh, several years ago, you, uh, uh, Yellowstone reintroduced wolves back into the ecosystem, which. Uh, they were uh, able to, the, the wolves were then uh, eating some of the deer and stuff that were eating some of the grass. And so it restored a whole part of the ecosystem because the deer were no longer eating the grass. The grass could now support small critters that weren't being eaten by wolves. Uh, and then that it reintroduced parts of the tree and the stuff and the coyotes no longer the, and and like it brought the balance back to a lot of yellowstone uh uh ecosystem so wow so it, it's something to be reckoned with and, about. <laughs> and not not to be taken lightly uh, you know mosquitoes annoy us but uh bats mostly eat mosquitoes and so yeah uh and bats uh provide guano for a lot of the food chain you know, there's 
yeah. you, you tip one little chain in the uh, link in the chain and you can really uh, screw things up. Yeah. Well, the good news is that Kane Nodes and uh, Kane Toads and Unnatural History, which is the name of that documentary, is available on YouTube. So <laughs> I super there's a, it looks like there's a bunch of different Kane Toad documentaries on YouTube, but Kane Kane Toads and Unnatural History is what it's called. And it is I mean it's it's a fun it's done to be kind of a fun documentary, but it right. is really a look at what happened and they still have cane toad problem cane toad problems in Australia because they have no natural enemy and they just breed like cane toads. <laughs> Koki so. frogs are another thing in uh the big island of of Hawaii in the wet side of the island uh on the east side the uh these little frogs that you never see physically there they live under leaves and, and stuff you very rarely see them at dusk it, the sun goes down and they start chirping until the sun rises uh, and so from sunset to sunrise cokey frogs um, <laughs> will make this little chirp and it's loud and they're <laughs> constantly and always part of the system. And they came over from some shipment from Puerto Rico and have no predator and just are radically abundant in that zone. Well, the same thing with English ivy and blackberries. I yeah. mean, that is what, like, in 100 years, if 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 humans don't survive this, it wouldn't even take 100 years. Like, five years later, the entire Northwest is just going to be covered in English ivy and blackberry, and that's it. It's so <laughs> sure. crazy. Well, moving on, um, you talked a little bit about Yellowstone. Uh, they had nearly 300 oh, active yes. earthquakes this past May, <laughs> adding to our 2020 tally of what's killing us this month. We should have a sounder for that. Um, so so and the, I, Yellowstone, the Yellowstone Basin is uh, a super, um, uh, volcano. super volcano. And if that erupts, the world is over. Uh, it's not not jokingly not like the power that would be released from the the Yellowstone uh, eruption will kill everything that lives. Right, and uh, I think I believe in a geological scale, I believe we're like a hundred thousand years overdue, overdue for that. Tell it. Yeah, <laughs> good times. Uh, have you ever been to Yellowstone? I love Yellowstone. Yeah, it. it I, I went with my well, one of our family vacations was there twenty almost twenty years ago now, and yeah. it is just a alien, crazy, ridiculous place. It is so weird. So just, in the na in the Navy, I lived in uh, Idaho Falls, Idaho, um, and the Navy has a program called MWR Morale, Welfare, and Recreation. And it's for, you know, um, when you're not on duty, there's things to do. And so they have tickets to ball games and things that you can get dirt cheap. And uh, so they had a half a dozen trailers set up, uh, RV trailers set up and fully plumbed and ready to walk in and, and be usable at Yellowstone National Park. And you can get them for $10 a night. Wow. And, and so... Uh, we would have these cycles where basically every four weeks we would get four days in a row off. And uh, so for my four offs, I would go to Yellowstone and 
and just be alone and drive around and go to the crazy places and yeah yeah and then i took nick back uh a couple years ago three years ago and uh introduced him to yellowstone it was was pretty awesome yeah that's so cool all right well moving on a couple of um a couple of stories kind of about the protests kind of in general uh are you are you familiar with k-pop Oh yeah. Oh, probably. Well, you're on TikTok, so, so isn't that like 99% K-pop? <laughs> no, nah, not really. But like, so n- not the not the TikTok that I watch because TikTok definitely tailors its content to what you like, uh, like almost instantly, and so mine just ends up being shirtless young men <laughs> dancing. <laughs> You want to watch? Hey, hey, yeah. <laughs> it's fun. I think I saw enough because you you sent me a TikTok the other day and like it kind of just kept auto playing like yeah, different stories do. or whatever they're called after there. I'm like, oh, this must be Mark. <laughs> this must be Mark's feed. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, K-pop. Anyway. Uh, which is ba- basically uh, pop music from from South Korea that is just a huge all that Japanese and and Korean pop music stuff is super fascinating and there's just what seems like thousands of different little groups of like five or six boys or girls and they're just like they've got their fans and stuff like that well uh, the story says this week as the hashtag so during all this is about a week and a half ago right right around the time there was the social media thing of, of blackout Tuesday where everybody changed their profiles to the black bar or whatever. So in response to both the hashtags black lives matter and um, blackout Tuesday, of course came the wake of hashtag white lives matter trending in the United States. Well, all of these K-pop groups started to change their tags to white life matters and Whiteout Wednesday in order to sabotage these group the racist groups that were also passing around the same thing so every time you would search for that hashtag it would be like some nonsense what they call face cams which i'm guessing is just sort of like a blah i don't just someone taping themselves singing or talking or whatever but it would just be all of this korean pop music and their stars and fans just completely sabotaging these groups which is that's amazing so great it's been another thing i was talking to we were talking a little bit before we started recording how i was talking to colin's older brother devin who's 17 and really kind of following things super closely uh on the world stage and um uh, oh crap what was i gonna say oh i've totally lost the, it the misdirection of hashtags and Taking oh. over subversion of yeah. So why? I mean, obviously the Hong the protests going on in oh, Hong yeah. Kong have been going on for ever as well, yep. but the big ones for more than a year. And watching the protesters in in that with hand signals and how they're fighting against like smoke bombs, they'll put like an orange cone, one of the orange cones, over it, and they just pour water on it, and like mm-hmm. that puts the smoke grenade out, and like all of these little. Um, Social activision or activision uh, <laughs> activism life hacks basically, and just yeah. watching the coordination of those 
millions of protesters and watching that come to American protests and watching people in Portland do the orange cone trick. And I saw a guy in Hong Kong just with a leaf blower, just like (laughs) simply blowing the smoke away, which was amazing. But watching collective group learning of crowds Mm. on a scale like that has been fascinating because it's watching ants work together to do (laughs) the same thing or like a flock of birds do and it's it's been so interesting watching watching that aspect of this um but a lot of the things that happening are happening during these uh demonstrations i i hesitate to call them protests they're i'm glad they're not being called riots anymore because they're not right and and they technically are protests but i like the word demonstrations a little mm-hmm. bit more because it's even less pejorative than um, than the others. But facial recognition has been a huge upcoming topic even before this. And now people are like, well, now what? If you're just in the middle of 100,000 people and they just deploy facial recognition and send everyone a ticket or do something that. But now there's been in this past week several huge companies saying that Microsoft being one of them being like, we're not, this is not not cool. And so IBM um, said uh, IBM quits facial recognition and joins call for police reforms. So IBM is one of the several big tech firms that had earlier sought to improve their accuracy of facial tech uh, technology uh, after research found racial and gender disparities, but his new CEO is now questioning whether it should be used by police at all. Uh, quote, we believe now is the time to become a national to begin a national dialogue on whether and how facial recognition technology should be employed by domestic law enforcement agencies, said CEO Ar- Arvind Krishna in a letter sent to mon- sent Monday to U.S. lawmakers. Um, even before the protest, U.S. senators had been scrutin- scrutinizing New York. Uh, for using the Clearview AI tech recognition technology uh, following investigative reports about its pra- practice of harvesting billions of photos from social media and other internet services to identify people. So that's another thing I saw from the Hong Kong protest is an example of just showing a picture of the demonstrations and all the little boxes that came around people's heads. And yep. I mean, that happens to me on Facebook I'll, with this mustache that I'm growing. Tag me as... Not me. Thank. That's Brock, how I'm gonna. Brock Dittus. <laughs> Brock Dittus, or as I like to say, Ditus, because that is, I think <laughs> the how right it should be correct pronounced. pronunciation. Correct yes. pronunciation. <laughs> so, that's just. Uh, thankfully, everybody's wearing masks at these at these um, demonstrations. So I think that helps fight against facial recognition. So I, just so in I just general. got a mask, a mask with um, the Getty Images logo, <laughs> so that. Getty Images will just send them a ticket. (laughs) Just put a giant, yeah, a giant copyright, (laughs) copywritten image on your face so that Disney strikes all the videos down (laughs) so they can't be used. Exactly. (laughs) The Lion King math. (laughs) All right. This story you're going to have to help me with um, because there's lots I don't understand about it. And it's a little lengthy, um, but it says... Quantum fifth state of matter is observed in space for the first time. So scientists have uh, observed the fifth state of matter in space for the first time, offering unprecedented insight that could help solve some of the quantum universe's most intractable conundrums. So the Bose-Einstein condensates, 
which are called BECs, uh, the existence of which was predicted by Elvis, uh, uh, Elvis Einstein, <laughs> Albert Einstein. Uh, hey. I mean, e-, <laughs> e equals MZ squared. <laughs> Uh, by Einstein and an, an Indian mathematician named Bose almost a century ago. Uh, so these BECs are formed when atoms of certain elements are cooled to near absolute zero, which is zero uh, degrees Kelvin or negative 273 degrees Celsius. So at that point, the atoms become a single entity with quantum properties where each particle also functions as a wave of matter. So BECs straddle the line between the macroscopic world governed by forces like gravity and microscopic uh, planes ruled by quantum physics. Now, we've talked about this on the show before, how the smaller you get, the less reality basically works on them. Like gravity, like all of the things that rule our universe completely break down at a certain point. Um. So, so far, so good. I'm kind of on board with with everything. So uh, scientists believe that these BECs contain vital clues to things like dark energy, which is the unknown energy thought to be behind the universe's accelerating expansion. But these BECs are extremely fragile, and the slightest interaction with the external world is enough to um, have them just disappear um, because they get back into kind of our reality and that makes them nearly impossible for scientists on earth to study because of gravity and magnetic fields so now now to space on thursday a team of nasa scientists unveiled the first results of experiments from the uh, iss space station where particles can be manipulated free from earthly constraints the research public in the journal nature documents several startling differences um uh, on the ISS. For one thing, BECs in terrestrial labs typically last a handful of milliseconds before dissipating, uh, but aboard the ISS, they've lasted more than one wow. second, offering them uh, offering the team an unprecedented, unprecedented chance to study their properties very quickly. Um, microgravity also co- allowed the atoms to be manipulated by weaker magnetic force, speeding and cooling and allowing mm. clearer imaging. Um, so creating the fifth state of matter, especially within the physical context, uh, confines of the space station, uh, isn't easy. First, they have to blah, blah, blah. So um, there's a lot of things about how they're trying to sustain these BEC particles on the app, on the space station. But basically, it sounds like they're getting them. I mean, the difference between how long they left on Earth to one second is huge. Yeah speaking even though it's still only one second but it sounds like they're there's gonna start being able to at least look into some of the things that are behind more of the quantum universe so yeah um so i i don't have much to add uh, of this (laughs) i know i I sort of sprang (laughs) that on you (laughs) as a cold read (laughs) um the we we as uh american learned uh uh humans we usually talk about the three states of matter there's uh generally four that that actually exist so solid liquid gas are the three states of matter uh and we rarely talk about plasma but plasma actually out volumes the other three states in the universe by factors of you know 100 or or whatever um there's there's a lot more plasma in the universe than there is solid liquid or gas 
now does pla- plasma does plasma only resist resist only exist as a reaction or does it just naturally exist like say a solid or a but i guess solids and liquids are also a reaction yeah, to yeah yeah i i don't know if uh i i don't know uh, uh, uh about that but you know ionized particles uh exist as plasma uh and so when you are the aurora borealis exactly, exactly. Plasma? or the, okay what we see inside fluorescent tubes plasma you know when when we did okay. our great microwave experiment we had a lot of plasma going on in there as as you ionize a gas you know neon signs that's all plasma 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 and okay. so okay. um uh so this fifth state of matter it sounds really interesting and um and uh fragile you know and, and how how to <laughs> quantify it uh and quantum mechanics is is so mind-bending because it's it's a reality that is not comprehensible in our daily existence of uh this this thing exists in two places at the same time until something actually interacts with it and then it exists in that one place you know and not the other uh things like that of, of like you're dealing with probabilities not actualities you're, you're dealing yeah and, right. and it's uh uh it's mind-bending huh. and hard for me to understand but um yeah it's 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 a fascinating world yeah and we didn't we did miss uh last week's show but uh we did send we we you and i mark sent astronauts into space for the first time on a private aircraft so not all bad in 2020 i think if if something god forbid would have gone wrong with that launch i think that would have been (laughs) not a great thing to, to happen in the midst of everything else but it was a fun our rallying cry where we were all together for something before we all forgot what we were together <laughs> exactly. about and, and yeah it was it was fascinating to watch and uh super interesting i've read some articles uh of the astronauts who took the you know they they are both experienced shuttle pilots and shuttle uh, astronauts and uh and so the difference in exp- can you hear oh i oh. lost me for a second I can hear, um yeah. The difference, their different experience between riding on the shuttle and riding on a Falcon Nine uh, in in the Dragon capsule was was very different, uh, the, uh, especially that first stage because the first stage on the shuttle has two solid rocket boosters, and it's a enormous jarring, uh, crazy <laughs> ride uh, when when you first lift off through that first stage and uh, the Falcon rockets are all liquid fueled and uh, and they have very finite control over the engines and and it's it's a true flying machine is what the words that they used is like uh, <laughs> in the words of Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci as he invents his screw <laughs> helicopter thing that apparently just bounces up and down if I'm to believe to believe any of the late 1800 totally. videos of people trying to master totally. flight uh, and so they they were really impressed with the entire experience and uh, yeah it's fascinating uh, yeah I guess I didn't hear them talk about the actual differences between 
between the two shuttles and i mean this new this tesla or i guess not tesla the spacex one that just literally look was designed by hollywood exactly. down to their down to their astronaut uniforms and stuff like which that which i really so. appreciate they're trying to re-inspire young people to say look this is a possibility for you to be uh you know this is a dream that you can have and uh aspire yeah. to and um if we can uh l- you know light light a rocket under the ass of the young people right now and <laughs> say look we can we can well to to be fair the younger people are holding up their end of the bargain with being out yep. in the streets right <laughs> now and that's another we, we didn't talk about this before but how i was talking about how my optimism for how things will turn out is based on the fact that the united states is what we're based on as far as the constitution and our ideals are equitable and fair and wonderful and like in other countries where there's a dick like that's not the same right. thing like they have to start from <clears throat> scratch whereas we just have convoluted the thing our things on top of the good thing um but another thing i told devin was and i've been saying this forever it's the millennials are going to save right. us and i don't mean like be- <laughs> It's just the way they are the ones rallying out in the streets. They are the ones who know how to talk to each other via yep. social media. They know how yep. to get things done. Yep. They and, know and Gen that, Z and is, is uh, highly involved yeah. as well. You know, uh, uh, the I guess anyone what under thirty is technically ten or twenty five is Gen yeah, Z already. Something. Like millennials are like almost forty at this point, which right. is crazy. Yeah. Brian Brian and Sarah, but, they're millennials. They're they're like they I know. They they, they, they don't like to admit, to admit that, that, but we've got the score on you, Brian. <laughs> but but that's that's the generation that I see very specifically is is uh like Brian and Sarah's age as millennials and yeah. uh, the generation right behind them, uh not their children, but uh the, the their younger, younger brothers, brothers and yeah, sisters are yeah. are the Gen Z and they are wildly active and and out there doing things. And they're not like they have watching TV is not on their radar at all. Right. Like it's all YouTube or it's all you know. So like they are not they're not beholden to like this awful cable TV news that everyone over the age of forty can't get enough of. And so they're not part of this weirdly politicized things that shouldn't be politicized because they're like, all of your stuff is full of horseshit, older people. Like, what right. are you doing? Tell it. <laughs> so, so that gives yes. me hope. Me too. But one last story here. Um, speaking of things that don't give me hope, the FCC approves uh, foreign ownership request of Cumulus Radio. Um, now, and since 2008, Cumulus, who owns uh, a lot of radio stations in the United States, uh, they've been seeking approval from the FCC to allow foreign investments in the company up to 100%. The FCC rules prohibit more than 25% of foreign investment right now, but the commissions, um, that's what they're being uh, asked to be a whole 100%. Um, so the commission stated that, quote, we find the public interest – oh, The commission stated that, quote, we find that the public interest would not be served by prohibiting foreign interest, prohibiting foreign ownership of cumulus. 
so um anyway <laughs> I, but <sighs> so it used to be that one company could only own one media outlet tv or radio in every major market that was gotten rid of in the in the late 90s uh in uh through one of the the telecommunications act of bill clinton so now it's uh leaking out that foreign uh Foreign companies can own up to a hundred percent of some American media companies. So, I mean, Fox Fox is owned by Rupert Murdoch, right. who is Australian. Although I believe the company is probably based in America at right. least. But um, so. so, who does Cumulus own? I'm not sure. They're not nearly as big as, say, Clear Channel. Well, Clear Channel, I believe, is iHeartRadio now. Um, but I'm not sure. But they are one of the main the main uh, broadcasting companies but i don't know i don't know how many i did not look into that <sighs> i'm are you I'm, looking yeah, at it I'm or looking are we at just it. awkwardly pausing okay uh, it's radio <laughs> radio stations yeah i believe so I, yes got it uh yeah there's uh many let's see if it's many 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 <laughs> cumulus media uh, third largest owner and operator of AM and FM radio stations in the United States behind Intercom and iHeartMedia. Okay, yeah, Intercom is the other big one. 427 stations <sighs> in 87 markets. Wow, wow. So look to Yay. foreign ownership coming to you, <laughs> coming away towards you. All right, well, did you have anything other other that we can kind of stick in the news category? Anything else that um, I don't I don't really know a lot about what's happening around Portland other than what we've already kind of talked about. Yeah, uh, I, I don't. Uh, I had a, uh, a friend who organized a children's rally this morning and did kind of a children's oh, protest. Uh, not protesting children, but uh, children involved in <laughs> protests. And, uh, and so they did a march through... Uh, a neighborhood near us um and other than that uh, yeah i just been busy writing code and doing projects and stuff uh yeah nice 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 well one of the things that i think uh is positive that has already come out of a lot of these demonstration is um well the positive isn't kind of being faced with the reality that a lot of the things especially uh speaking of gen x and baby boomers <laughs> how a lot of the things that we grew up learning perhaps uh, aren't true. And that's everything from what we think about Christopher Columbus to what, you know, we know about a lot of other things have very, um, have been very, very whitewashed both literally and, you know, figuratively from our learning. And, and while I don't think that's necessarily our fault for being taught that, I think now is a great opportunity to look into some of those things that were not uh, factually correct that when when they were told and, and one of the rabbit holes I fell down um, both kind of opened up a different uh, subject so it was kind of a bigger subject than I wanted to talk about and also not the subject I thought I was going to talk about and I forget where I heard it but um, at some point this last week someone said well did you know that the Lone Ranger the classic Lone Ranger uh, Lone Ranger Lone Ranger and his silver bullets and his horse and Tonto and all of that. Um, this person said, well, did you know that it was based on the first cow, one of the, the first cowboys who were black and an actual black cowboy named Bass Reeves. I did not know that. And so I kind of did. Yeah. And so I kind of did this dive uh, into 
first figuring out, you know, is this is the was the Lone Ranger actually based on this person? And then kind of the bigger topic that I found out is the history of black cowboys in America, which is also pretty fascinating. So I will give the spoilers that I don't think after what I looked at, even though it's still kind of rumored around that Bass Reeves was indeed the impetus and the, the basis of the Lone Ranger. I don't think that's true. I think he played into it a little bit, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like the Lone Ranger was really specifically based after a single person, but he definitely wasn't influenced. So I kind of wanted to start out a little bit with uh, black, uh, black cowboys, um, before we dive into a little bit about uh, uh, Bass Reeves, who was really, really well known in his time, uh, if not a little bit forgotten now. But uh, black cowboys in the American West accounted for up to 25 percent of what we consider cowboys. Now, cowboys at that time were obviously worked on the open range. They did cattle herding and all of the things that you typically think of when you think of old ranches and old things in the old West that had open ranges and people that needed to care for them and stuff like that. Um, there was an estimated six to 9,000 workers between the 1860s and the 1880s uh, in uh, the American Northwest. A lot of these uh, cowboys too were also of Mexican descent and native American descent, just because most of the land that was being used for these uh, were in places like Oklahoma, which was um, all um, uh, what they call Amerindian American Indian um, settlements and stuff like that. Um, black men who were typically slaves, but uh, were even uh, cowboys before uh, slavery was uh, technically uh, abolished, um, were used as what they call cow hands. But when black people occupied the same position, they were called cow boys because that's how you referred to black people back then, uh, especially black men back then. Even if you were way younger than they were boys. So they weren't cow men. They were all cow boys. And that was literally based on the fact that a lot of them were African-American men and um, also Mexicans. And you needed to um, delegitimize them from the go by using terms like boy oh. instead of uh, men. So that just kind of became the catch all Catch all slaves. Uh, over time, the term cowboy became uh, came to apply anyone in the industry of herding cattle. So now we kind of get into rodeos, and there's there's a lot of fascinating uh, uh, YouTube videos and other videos about the history of black cowboys. But then another thing I saw during a lot of the demonstration footage from the past two weeks was this really famous uh, Compton cowboy group. Now, if you know anything about Compton. The Compton area of Los Angeles that is also often the flashpoint of a lot of these riots, both the Rodney King mm -hmm. riots. There is the um, several riots in the history of yep. Los Angeles and Southern California that Compton and, and, and East L.A. and those areas uh, were the flashpoints. There is a huge cowboy community in Compton. And I saw marches of these what they call the Compton Cowboys, which are black inner city youth that are still cowboys in that area, because I think there are several farms and ranches in that area that are served that serve as uh, horse rescue. And they get the community in uh, as a part of that, too. And so there's several different documentaries on that that you can look up to the Compton Cowboys, which is just a fascinating thing to see what. We would typically think, oh, that must be a gangbanger, you know, tattooed up, you know, 
saggy pants and white shirt, you know, whatever we think of as a gang member and like brushing their horses and like getting on and riding through these inner city neighborhoods on their horses, which is just so neat to see. It's really cool. But, um, as, as cowboys and, and that culture becomes a thing, you know, as the American West progresses into, um, kind of the wild West into becoming settled and become ranches and places like Texas, the rodeo circuit pops up because, you know, it's, it, humans humans make into entertainment uh, almost everything and that's just one of the way you make people with horses have entertainment you see how long you can stay on the horse you know and that evolves into a gigantic rodeo culture that black people were very good at because they were the first cowboys well white people can't have black people being better at them so of course black people were not allowed to participate in many of the rodeos um, there's several other great documentaries about the history of the rodeos themselves and, um, not the, the non-inclusion of, of African-Americans and other cowboys. And they would sometimes like be so much better that they would ride after the technical rodeo was over. And there was this one and um, right now I'm for, I'm forgetting his name because there's uh, several different, um, a really famous uh, black rodeo stars and one of them after after the technical rodeo shut down he, this guy like rode like whoever the toughest bull was that like no man could ride or whatever and if you know anything about rodeo about seven or eight seconds if if luke perry movies tell me anything it's that eight seconds is the goal for <laughs> for how that's a deep cut for yeah. anyone, anyone right there <laughs> Staying on the horse or the Bronco for eight seconds is the goal. And he was this guy would stand for like 20, 25 seconds or whatever and became such. And so the newspaper of and it was it was in Austin or Houston or one of those rodeos that the newspaper wrote about him the day after. And all these huge rodeo fans were like so mad that they had missed what was like this achievement that technically like couldn't be done or whatever. But they also couldn't desegregate the rodeos so they said well those the black people will still have to ride afterwards but if they can have two white men do it and then open the and so like all of this crazy convolute and so the black people just were like we're just start our own rodeo because this is not (laughs) because it is still 1900s and then the jim crow laws come in which are the separate but equal laws and so the um, there are uh, in the 1940s in Texas and stuff like that, the black rodeo circuit was completely, you know, segregated and stuff like that. And still for the most part are, but the whole history into black rodeo culture, the Compton Cowboys, black people, their history as cowboys is super fascinating. And there's a lot of just short little five to 10 to 20 minute documentaries that, that are easily available on YouTube to fall down this like super interesting segment of of society but kind of coming back to where this all started with the lone ranger and this man called bass reeves so i wanted to go into a bit of a little bit about him because like i said he is super famous just as a a u.s marshal which is what he was so uh, bass reeves was born into slavery in 1838 in arkansas and he was named after uh his grandfather bass but his last name reeves uh, was his uh, the last name of his owner, who was William Steele Reeves, who I believe was 
a um, a U.S. Uh, he was in the Texas right. House of Representatives. So um, he was born in Texas and uh, then passed down to Reeves's son, who was in the um, who was in the he fought for the Confederacy. So when the American Civil War re- began, George Reeves, who is now the new owner, uh, joined the Confederate Army, taking Bass with him. Uh, it's unclear what Bass' role was or how he parted ways with that owner, but a lot of the stories seem to say that there was some sort of fight that Bass Reeves either hit him or punched him or did beat him up. There was some some sort of something, and sometimes it's over a card game, sometimes it's over something else, but no matter what happened, there was something that, and this was before the Civil War or during the Civil War, before the uh, 13th Amendment, um, and so Bass had to escape and be on the run. So um, Bass Reeves headed out towards Oklahoma, which at that point was just um, nothing but Indian land or American Indian land. And either though, even though he couldn't read or write, um, Bass Reeves started to learn all the languages of all of the uh, Native Americans in the area and became um, he learned he was super proficient on a horse. Even before that, his he was an expert marksman that even was better than most of the soldiers that he was around. Um, and so he just started building up his skills and all of those things. And um, as soon as the 13th Amendment was uh, passed, he was a free man. So as a free man, Reeves moved back to Arkansas from Oklahoma and um, farmed near a place called Van Buren. Uh, he married someone and had 11 children, nice. which is a lot of children to have at that. <laughs> well, I guess I don't know how many survived, but I guess that's why you had to have so many back then. But um, So Reeves and his family farmed until 1875. And now at this point after the Civil War, there's a man named Isaac Parker who was appointed federal judge for the Oklahoma Territories. Uh, Isaac Parker appointed a man named James Fagan as a U.S. Marshal, and James Fagan was directed to hire uh, 2,000 deputy U.S. Marshals to kind of patrol that whole area. Uh, Fagan heard about Bass Reeves, uh, and he knew the Indian territory, and he can speak several Indian languages, and so Reeves was recruited as a deputy. Now, it doesn't it's not clear if Reeves was the first African-American uh, U.S. deputy ever, but he for sure was the first one west of the Mississippi and in these new territories. So Reeves worked for 32 years as a federal peace officer in the Indian Territory and became one of Judge Parker's most valuable deputies. He brought in some of the most dangerous criminals of all times, but he was never wounded despite being shot in the hat and the belt on different separate occasions. So he ended up bringing in about 3,000 felons um, by the time he retired in 1907. and he was not only known for his marksmanship, but his, like, he was basically Batman because he took most of these people in. I think he shot, he 14. only ended up out of uh, these 3,000 people, 14, uh, 14 of them were killed. Um, and those were all in self-defense. Um, but it was mostly through, and I'll get into one kind of cool story later, but it was mostly through, like, detective and recognizance works that he would like sometimes disguise himself and he would sometimes like play off of people's prejudice. Like he couldn't read or write. And so one of the things he did was when he was caught, he carried around this letter from his wife and he's like, Oh, you know, I can't read or write, you know, now, now I'm caught. And my last request is, 
for you, person that caught me, can you please read this letter from my wife as it is, you know, I can't read and write. And like before they, the, the people who caught him even unfolded his note, he had shot them all <laughs> and just like using things like that. Um, and he even had to arrest his own son once. Uh, one of his sons, Benny Reeves, was charged with the murder of his wife. Deputy Marshal Reeves was disturbed and shaken by the incident, but demanded that the responsibility of bringing his son to justice was his. Uh, he was uh, he hunted and tracked his son down. The son was captured, tried, and convinc- uh, convicted to a life sentence. Um, thank- oh, I don't know, thankfully, because it doesn't make clear if the son actually was a murderer or not, but the son was released later because he was considered to be a model uh, model citizen. So uh, when Oklahoma became a state in 1907, Bass Reeves, then 68, became an officer in the Muskegee Police Department and served for two years before he became ill and retired. Um, let's see. Um, the only time he was rev- ever really... Um, uh, People, he will ever really not in trouble, I guess, like that. But any any controversy was that he was uh, Reeves was once uh, charged with murder, murdering a posse cook um, at his trial. The um, the judge uh, was a colleague and a friend and Reeves was uh, acquitted. But from everything I found out on the story, it was kind of a freak accident. They were cleaning or maintaining one of the old rifles that went off and, and shot the cook because he was well known. Reeves did have a little posse, and posses back then weren't like a lawless posse. It was like a cook, a person to drive the wagons that had the supplies. You know, kind of a basic, little tiny civilization that you would you would um, move around with. But Reeves is also the great uncle of Paul L. Brady, who became the first black man appointed as a federal judge, uh, federal administrative jo- uh, judge in 1972. Uh, now, one story I haven't told yet is a really cool one where it was uh, Reeves was part of a bigger group that were hunting down two um, criminal murderers that they knew were going to um, that the two murderers were going to reconvene at the house of one of the murderers mothers. Um, I don't know how they got that all the information, but in order they knew that they would be outgunned and outsmarted and all of that. And so Reeves, kind of did like this costume change. He put on old boots and this old coat and he walked 28 miles into this like inner Colorado wilderness, you know, woods area and got there a day before he knew that the criminal, because they had been tracking the trim, the criminals. And so the day before those criminals would got there and he goes to the door and knocks on it and knowing that the mother would be there. And so told the story about, he's also a part of the criminal, <laughs> you know, whatever can he, you know, I know the two guys that are coming, you know, I'm out of supply. I'm out of everything. I've got nothing. Can I come in? You know, will you harbor me against the police? So the mom's like, Oh sure. Come on in invites him in he stays the night eventually the next day the two guys come and that the 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 night after those two guys come he just simply handcuffs them in their sleep without them waking up and takes them to justice (laughs) and so he would like do all sorts of like amazing little mind things like (laughs) that and just it's really really cool and so he became really really famous for that um 
I believe he ended up moving to Detroit, although what I'm seeing now doesn't really show that. Um, but he was pretty famous in and around the Detroit area. Oh, there's another story, too, where it was one of those, um, like, uh, Annie, little Annie Oakley or whatever. It was, like, some woman, Calamity Jane, like, known for her, like, super brutal murders or whatever. She found out that they put Reeves on her case, and she gave herself up. <laughs> 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 which was pretty great that's Brad um but he ended up retiring um and he died of a liver disease called Bright's disease um and I believe was was fairly well known especially in Detroit the so the reason that we're getting this and when I searched for the original Lone Ranger or who was the Lone Ranger like Bass Reeves comes up right away some people are saying like he definitely was there's not any proof that that was. It was like one guy postulated at once. And because he was a deputy in the American West, because he rode a, like, because he rode a horse, because he used um, Native Americans to help track, like mm. those things are just sort of elements. Like the Lone Ranger story is that like the Lone Ranger's posse of whatever, they were all murdered except for the Lone Ranger and Ranger and Tonto comes in and, saves him and like it's this whole backstory that doesn't really have anything related to bass reeves except some of the larger spectrum of elements so i don't think that was any real part of it but i really really enjoyed like the can of not can of worms because that's a negative connotation but this whole area that like i didn't know anything about yeah and, like yeah, hearing yeah. his story and the history of, of African-American cowboys and like how famous and well-regarded and like yeah. part of the story that they are that like, I, I find it so wonderfully ironic that the American ideal of the cowboy is John Wayne. John Wayne hated horses, hated Westerns and his real name is Marion. So it's like, <laughs> Everything that we've been taught about everything is just such, such bull of a, about how we've romanticized the West and and what the noble white man's role in it was. Um, so it was really fun to to fall down that rabbit hole of the black American cowboy and their role in rodeos and the West and and lawfulness and keeping the peace and make building bridges between native Americans and, and whites. And it's just such an inextractable piece of our history that it was really fun to, to learn more about. So. Um, just looking on their, on the Wikipedia, it looks like there's a HBO special, uh, an HBO miniseries being developed uh, based on a 2006 biography that's co-produced by Morgan Freeman. Oh, neat. And then in 2018, uh, Amazon Studios started developing uh, one that's directed by Chloe Zhao. Oh, interesting. Uh, and, and so uh, there's a couple movies that, there's a 2010 fictionalized account of uh, Reeves' life and career called Bass Reeves, and a 2013 movie called they die by dawn <laughs> and uh a 2019 action film 
called Hell on the Border. And wow. so there's there's quite a bit of uh, media out there as well. Of, yeah, and it uh, was, like I said, there's a couple different trail. shorter shorter YouTube things, both about um, Black Cowboys and Bass Reeves. Um, which is super, super fun. It was, it was fun learning American history from like a, a British historian, which I'm like, oh, I'll probably finally have an unvarnished look at what the American Northwest was. Seriously. Um, but yeah, just, just really interesting. And, and I'm, and I'm kind of encouraged and, and looking forward to kind of detangling and demystifying a lot of the stories that especially you and I were, were just told growing up that we, <laughs> literally had no way to look up i mean how (laughs) totally Uh, and i i was thinking about this this morning of uh, i i didn't try to find it or anything but i i just remember seeing one of those really corny uh it was it was on tv but it was a movie from like the 60s probably for the 70s because it was in color (laughs) because it was a um a holy uh a holy land scene with uh, a young jesus performing a miracle and the jesus was literally blonde and blue-eyed <laughs> and uh like his eyes shine bright and was, i totally know the glow- exact one that you're yeah, talking about right and i'm like it's like he just stepped out I, of a pantene commercial totally i'm like i'm pretty sure that that's not anything <laughs> close to what a know. Middle Eastern man looked like two thousand <laughs> right. years ago, <laughs> right? And uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, um, there, there's a lot of that. Yeah, no, that's. I mean, that. I mean, how different would our? There's just it. We would be having different conversations, I think, if our Bible and if our Bibles from those times had pictures of like people that looked the Middle Eastern and. One of the things I have noticed in the past, oh, maybe 10 or 15 years is that like a lot of the, I see a lot of little kids Bibles since I teach, you know, four-year-olds and how most of them now, like Jesus is actually brown. And I'm like, well, good. Finally, we're, <laughs> seriously, we're not still giving them blonde hair and blue eyes like we've always done. So progress is small, I guess. <laughs> but... <clears throat> Anyway, yeah. that's that's kind of all I had. A fascinating, really cool. a fascinating look at Bass Reeves, American cowboy and lawman. So that's that's really cool. I had no idea. Yeah, and uh, that's really fascinating. Uh, there's there's a couple books out there as well. I might suggest oh, cool. that to our and I believe uh, I'm gonna look this up here. Oh, while while I'm doing that, Mark, since you can play um, music on your end, I figured we'll go out. Or can you or not? Maybe. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say the perfect thing that got um, that got suggested in my YouTube suggestions after watching a couple of things on black rodeos and and black cowboys and stuff like that was Lil Nas X Old Town Road <laughs> song. So I thought that would be a fun, a fun intersection of modern, <laughs> modern, quote unquote, cowboy culture. Um, and now I forgot what I was going to look up. But. Um, let's let's see what happens. I can can hear, you hear that? Yeah, I can hear it. As long as it, as cool. it goes on the recording, it's fine. Indeed. All right. Well, I didn't really have anything else. I've already forgotten what I was, what I was gonna look up. So <laughs> we're being overpowered cool. now by Billy Ray Cyrus. So <laughs> awesome. Well, thank um, you, really Mark, for making time for me. 
It was, I've been missing, missing my little slice into doing something other than making myself furious at social media. So it was <laughs> nice to do. Um, go listen to Fun Employment Radio. Uh, listen to them. They've been doing shows every week or every day to check out what the Unipiper is doing. He's out and about doing little doing little birthday greetings still and graduation stuff. Go check that out. Uh, check out markandtalkcast.com and our Facebook page. Other than that, we will see you guys later. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank, uh, great topic, Todd. Yes, thank Talk you. To Bye. Yeah, I wanna take my home.